Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya. Tanakas, Fakata, Jag, like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. Kokomo Friday, everybody, and welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on July 10th. Frank Stample here alongside Scott White and the returning Adam Azer. All right, Adam, here's what you've missed since last Friday. Chris and I got into a vociferous Giancarlo Stanton debate where I questioned... Another one? Where I questioned (laughs) whether or not Stanton was actually a good player. I I think my hate for him has gone too far. Uh, (laughs) That is crazy. I crapped on your love for raisins. Uh, and we have a new jingle for Mike Soroka that I stole from a listener, and it goes something like this: Mike Soroka. So, Wait, are you kidding me? That's like that's like super old news. Been that, doing that forever. Is that something you've done? Yes. <laughs> yes. It, of it sounded familiar. I have to admit, you I must didn't have want to rain on your parade, in a while. Frank. There, yeah. if you go on YouTube, there is like a parody. Uh, of my Sharona to Mike Soroka. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Somebody uh, made it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, I sorry. failed. That that that's true too. Yeah. Now that, I not that I blame you, Frank. I blame <laughs> I blame the person who sent it in. Me uh, too. Come on, do your homework, sir. Adam, I'm Adam. Adam, last time you were here, you hijacked the show to start. Is there anything you want to get off your chest? It's been a week since you've talked baseball. Yeah, yeah. There is actually. What do you I'm got? I'm kind of frustrated about something. I uh. Commissioner of a 14-team league. Are you in it, Frank, the editorial league? No. No. Um, and long-running office league. We're trying to figure out how to set up the league this year, what to do. So I suggested something that I actually said on the show last week. I suggested let's do a seven-week regular season and then a two-week playoff where four teams make the playoffs, and at that point, there's no head-to-head, just Total points wins. Everybody plays a two-week playoff. You set your lineup each week, and whoever scores the most points in those two weeks wins. Uh, But there's a little bit of momentum for just getting rid of head-to-head matchups the entire time and just doing a total points league. And I don't want to do that. And I don't see why a shortened season means we shouldn't do any head-to-head. I it, That doesn't make any sense to me. It's just like, why wouldn't... If you want to do that for a nine-week season, why wouldn't you do that for any season? And I don't want to do it for, for either type, a full season or a shortened one. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Heath is on that team. Team, no head-to-head matchups. Boo. I don't see why you... Why do you have to get rid of the best part of, of fantasy sports? You, uh, to, doesn't make sense. Are you doing multiple matchups per week? Yeah, we're doing double headers. Yeah. yeah. And we've always, this league is always double headers. Oh, well, so you're still doing, you're dealing with a much fewer number of decisions of wins and losses. And yeah, I mean, if, if you're, if you're able to repeat the number of decisions or come close to it, 
I actually think head-to-head makes more sense than anything cumulative because you know the cumulative stats are going to be skewed. Uh, you know whether it's it's head-to-head or I mean whether it's roto or total points. You know the cumulative stats are going to be skewed, but in head-to-head you're always dealing with you know just a short period of you know you're always um, you know kind of banking a week at a time as opposed to counting on the numbers evening out over the full length of the season. I, I'm not sure I'm explaining it well, but you're, you're used to dealing with small windows of time in head to head already. Yeah. Uh, where, where it can get warped is if you have so few matchups that you just have bad luck matchups wise. But if you're, if you're playing multiple matchups per week, you're not going to have that bad luck. It's, it's still mm-hmm. mostly going to be about individual player performance, which, you know, I think is going to skew things more in, like a roto league or a total points league than it would in head to head. And I and I'm willing like, to say like okay, four teams make the playoffs if the points leader is not one of those four doesn't have one of the best records, then the points leader is automatically in. You know, we could do that. But I just don't like head to head is why I play fantasy. You know, I love the weekly matchup. I let's I don't really like roto leagues all that much. Uh, I I wouldn't say that. I like them, but they're not nearly as fun for me. So I, you know, and then the question is like, if there's a lot of momentum for this, I'm the commissioner. I put all in all the legwork. Am I a bad commissioner? If I just say, nope, we're not doing that. We're doing it my way. I think I'm probably going to do what the league wants to do. I think that's the best thing to do as a commissioner, but I have the power to pull rank here. Isn't, isn't that what you do, Scott, in your dynasty league? Aren't you kind of like a fantasy dictator? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's not a nice way to put it. I think I am. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's not a democracy. It's not how this works. If you don't like the rules, you're you're free to go. You're free to leave. Oof. Uh, and I will certainly accept input. But ultimately, I have to be the the the, the safeguard of the rules and make sure they're all uh, working together. Yeah. And uh, providing everybody the best experience. I can't, you know, if I just if I just listened to what the people wanted, that would be anarchy. Did Do you it, guys Adam. see uh, rule with an see, iron fist? Yeah. Mm. Did you see Waco on Netflix? No. Scott sounded a lot like the leader of the cult in Waco. <laughs> he was like, "Hey, if you don't like it, you're free to go." <laughs> but what everybody knew that it was his. He was a dictator, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> today, today on the show, we're going to talk about some news and notes, stuff that we haven't gotten to so far this week. Uh, we're going to talk about some starting pitcher leftovers, some of those late-round starting pitchers, and then Mailbag will be answering your questions. Let's start off with some of these news and notes. Um, Scott, we haven't talked about, really, uh, this whole situation going on with the Mets bullpen, and manager Luis Rojas, GM Brody Van Wagenen, are both on record saying that the back end of the bullpen could be a, quote, fluid one. Is it time to downgrade Edwin Diaz? I don't feel the need to personally because... And and ADP doesn't show that he's going at a point where we expect him to be the Mets' closer. Like, we're confident that's the role he's going to have. Uh, I, I think if Edwin... Diaz is back to being Edwin Diaz like we saw in 2018 best reliever in baseball obviously he's going to get the saves but I think they're being careful with their language there because they're not sure what to expect from him and uh, they don't want to overcommit to anything and I think 
especially for a rookie manager. That's probably wise. Um, but you know, I could I could understand the other mar- argument. You'd rather them give a vote of confidence to Diaz. You'd feel better about drafting him. I never felt great about drafting him. So this, I think, uh, confirms that it's it's okay to have some doubts about that situation. Adam, considering that Edwin Diaz is going around 120 on ADP, wouldn't you rather just wait and take Seth Lugo at 254 if it's going to be a fluid bullpen for the Mets? I don't think that it would necessarily be Seth Lugo because if you look at his game log, there's a lot of two-inning stints. So, you know, it's kind of like um, like we think they the Brewers might want to take Josh Hader out of that role so they can use him even more effectively. If they just limit Seth Lugo to the ninth inning, then they might not really get all as, as much value as they can out of him. He's shown that he can be a, a multiple-inning guy. So, you know, it could be Batances, but he's trying to overcome a lot. Um, Jerry's Familia has had really good years. He's kind of sneaky if you're in a super deep league and all these guys get drafted. Yeah, if, like NL, your first, NL only, I would say. Yeah, the answer to your first question, I do think it's definitely time to downgrade Edwin Diaz. I mean, he's talking about how he basically has to win it, like he's going to claim it. So it's clearly not his role. Um, I, I think in a perfect situation, it's Diaz for the Mets. But I think if he fails, they would probably want Batan- – this is speculation, of course. They would probably want Batances to go win that job so they could keep using Lugo the way they have been. Batances, it's worth mentioning. I saw a report today that his velocity is around 92, 93 miles per hour. Just to put that in perspective, when he was in his prime, I mean, he's throwing 97, 98. So he's still yeah. kind of far off from where he – normally was and you're right he's coming back from a big injury so we'll see what happens with Dylan Batances surprise the Rays are not naming a closer this was a quote from the manager Kevin Cash we've tried to stay away from naming specific roles because we think it's a benefit to our club to be able to be versatile and prioritize matchups but there's no way you can doubt the value of how challenging getting the last three outs of the game is this is pretty much expected Scott yeah, I buy it a lot more in in this scenario. I think most managers, unless they have, you know, a long established dominant closer, and you know, they they would only create disruption by saying otherwise. Most managers pay lip service to keeping the bullpen versatile, and then they fall back into habits. They get into routine by the time the season starts. Uh, but the Rays have been the most consistent about sticking to a committee situation at the back end. Really, the time they verged from it most was at the end of last year when when uh, it seemed like Emilio Pagan had secured that role. But now he's gone. Um, and they have a few guys who have shown closer potential. I think Nick Anderson is clearly the best, and he's getting drafted the highest. And he'll have value even if he's only getting part-time saves for them. I think he'll absolutely be part of a committee if it stays the committee, and I think he stands the best chance of breaking free of the committee if anybody's going to. But in a 60-game season, uh, he would need to do that sooner than later. According to Brian McTaggart, who covers the Astros for MLB.com, Kyle Tucker will likely back up Josh Reddick in right field to start the season. Here's a quote from Dusty Baker. The future is probably Tucker's, but the now is probably Reddick's. Adam, 
Last week when you were on, you were bragging about the best mock draft that you ever had <laughs> in your life. Kyle Tucker was one of your outfielders. So, boom. Not yeah. the greatest mock draft ever. I, I, yeah. If I could jump in here for a second, Adam, because there, there's more to that quote that I think makes it even more alarming. This genuinely upsets me. It hurts me to the core to see this because I thought we were past this with Dusty Baker. I thought, you, you know, the... He, he, he always likes the veteran guys just because they're veteran guys thing. I, I thought, you know, that was just a, had just become, there was no truth to it basically. But here's the rest of the quote. The older players, it takes them longer to get ready, but they usually keep it longer. You just can't take a jo- guy's job away unless he loses it over time. <laughs> so he's not even really leaving open the opportunity for Kyle Tucker to win the job ahead of the season, or really even early on in the season, he has to win it over time. Over time, he has to prove he's clearly the better option than Josh Reddick. And we don't have time this year. So I am not, I am not feeling good about this at all. God, man, Dusty Baker. He's such, such like a boomer manager, man. Like, Oh my gosh! Uh, but just give it to Kyle Tucker already. The final news item that I have oh, wait, here. Wait, wait, no, but like, are you guys dropping him in your rankings, Kyle Tucker? I'll have to look at it more, but yeah. like, this doesn't sound like this doesn't sound like Dusty Baker just saying something to say something. This sounds like a deep conviction of his, and um, I feel like we have to take it seriously. You know, it it would be. Especially because it's such a short season, you know, like it'd be one thing for him to say this and you think, okay, but by mid-May, it'll clearly be Kyle Tucker's. Well, mid-May is a quarter of the way through a normal season, but the equivalent now would be three quarters of the way through this season. So it's just like, there's not enough time for him to mess around like this. So yeah, I feel like, I feel like we got to move Kyle Tucker down some and then just hope for an injury, but no, we're not supposed to hope for injuries. Of course not. But yeah, you know what I mean. Scott, you have Kyle Tucker as your 33rd outfielder in head-to-head points leagues, especially in a points league. It's just you need that volume. You need playing time, guys who are going to be in the lineup. So uh, I have him down at 40 in my outfield ranks there, and I could see dropping him down behind J.D. Davis, Hunter Dozier, Lourdes Gurriel, just because I know those guys are going to play consistently. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think i got to drop him down the rankings a little bit here. Last news item, Corey Kluber. Pitched six innings of one-run ball. Kluber permitted only two hits, didn't walk anyone, and fanned nine batters, getting his pitch count up to 80. Guys, I'm back in on pitching. I mean, I, I've seen enough already with Gary Cole pitching five innings and Corey Kluber pitching six innings. The guys who have done it before, I think that they're going to be ready to go five or six innings on opening day. I, I am confident saying that, and I am now sticking with that, Scott. Yeah, the only exception Brian Snitker reiterated yesterday that they're really into this idea of piggybacking starters, at least while the rosters are as deep as 30 the first couple weeks. Um, you know, citing that the intensity level just isn't the same in intra squad games, even if they're technically getting the innings. And uh, maybe he's right. It's also not clear if he means everybody in that rotation or just the back couple spots, guys who are less proven, or if he means like Mike Soroka, who I think pitched four innings yesterday, and Max Freed and Mike Fultonevich. Uh, if he means all of them, too, it's it's not clear. But that, you know, maybe we have to uh, 
specifically be cautious of drafting Braves pitchers because of that. But on the whole, I agree with you. Pitchers have been going deep. I've heard a lot more claims if I'll be ready to go six or seven on opening day than, you know, I might only go four or five. So, yeah, I think I think these guys showed up prepared for the most part and uh, their teams are willing going to going to use them as much as they need to to win the game. Adam, does this give you confidence in in drafting, starting pitching the way that you might have back in February or March again? Uh, you weren't on for our pitching previews, so I mean, if you just kind of want to give us an idea of your overall starting pitcher strategy, especially with you know some some of these new di- news items here, what do you got? It hasn't really changed much. Uh, I thought maybe I would I would devalue I would I would bump pitching down just a little bit. Um, Maybe wait a little bit longer to get like a third or a fourth guy, but you know, it's still a nine week season. So if it's two weeks at the beginning of the year or three weeks, that is significant, but it's not like the rest of the season doesn't count. At some point, these guys are going to be turned loose. And I had been saying, like, I just didn't really believe it. I didn't really buy it that this theory that like, well, nobody's going to be pitching deep into games anymore. What really I think is is you don't want to you don't want to have a rotation of high upside unproven guys on your fantasy team. This is something I said a few weeks ago, like maybe a month ago at this point, it's been a while. Um, managers are going to have a, uh, they're going to skip these guys, right? Like they're going to, I think, shorten their rotation when they have off days. If they can keep a guy on five days rest uh, by skipping someone, you know, because there's a day off or something like that. Like these fifth starters are going to get skipped. I, I really think that. Um, and those are the ones who are going to have the, the quick hook, the ones who aren't proven. So if anything, maybe it puts a little bit more emphasis on proven starting pitchers who can go deep into games. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of weird stuff, guys, that we just can't anticipate. Like Trevor Bauer (laughs) pitching every four days. I'm wondering if we're going to see more velocity because guys don't really have to save it for that long. I have no freaking idea what's going to happen. It's going to be weird. So I more or less have taken the approach of not changing my strategy that much. Even with this COVID stuff, like a guy gets COVID, I'm not really downgrading him because I think so many people are going to get it that you can't, I mean, like you can't even look at it like, oh, this player I drafted has COVID. It's just going to be so prevalent throughout the season. I'm just not changing anything. I'm, I'm just not doing anything draft drastic. I'm drafting a fantasy team. I'm going to see what happens. And I'm not going to pretend to to know what this season is going to look like. So why why alter things all that much? You mentioned Trevor Bauer there. Great. Just more opportunities for him to blow up your ERA and your whip. Uh, that Trevor Bauer. You're so down on Trevor Bauer. I'm so down. I, I'm, I, I think I'm just salty because he burned me last year. Late round. If he goes on a four days rest. If he's, if he's pitching once every four starts instead of five. Yeah. That's good. I'm sorry. That has to increase his value. He, he, he gets 25% more starts. Which means yeah, he will then, get more strikeouts. He'll help you out in the yeah, accumulative stats. No, he stats becomes and, if he's getting fifteen starts and everybody else is getting twelve, he's the odds-on favorite to lead the majors in strikeouts, and and he might be to lead the majors in wins too. And Frank, I I know what you're saying that if he's bad, that it hurts you in the categories. But if he's good, then he's going to be the best pitcher in fantasy. But nobody knows when it comes to Bauer. He's such a wild card. Yeah. It's like and, and 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 look, this isn't this isn't locked in. The the yeah. every fourth day thing. I don't believe like, they, it. By they the have way. the Reds have some reservations about this too. So I'm not, I'm not really drafting Bauer, anticipating this is going to happen. But you know, if it if it looks like it's going to when we're a week out or whatever, then then maybe. 
Late round starting pitchers, we left off on Marcus Stroman yesterday on our starting pitcher preview 2.0 part two. And just after him, we have this group. Andrew Heaney, Jose Urquidy, Dallas Keuchel, Caleb Smith, Dylan Bundy. Those five are going round 17 through 20 on average, according to Fantasy Pros ADP. So Heaney, Urquidy, Keuchel, Caleb Smith, Dylan Bundy. Scott, does anyone stand out to you from this group? Yeah. Yeah, I think the I think the ones to pursue here are uh Heaney, Urquidy, and Bundy. AL West, baby. And I actually like Heaney's the one I feel worst about, even though he's going the highest. His 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 track record of being home run prone is just so established at this point. And, you know, it's not like he's moving to a different venue or anything. Uh I'm not I do see the potential with the strikeouts, but I'm not confident he's going to be able to turn it around. And then Urquidy, he's been delayed reporting for whatever reason. And uh, so we're not sure he's going to be entirely ready. But obviously, like the supporting cast, he throws a lot of strikes. Um, he, he he looked good when he got a chance to pitch last year, and they'll be relying on him for more this year. So I do like Urquidy. I think maybe he has Jose Barrios-type potential. And Bundy, like, I want to get more excited about Bundy. He's, he's, I, I do have him in my sleepers column. Hey, uh, me too. I, I think he's a perfect change of scenery candidate since the Orioles squandered the potential of so many young pitchers. Uh, and he's moving from Baltimore, where it's understandable him giving up a lot of home runs, to a park and a division where, you know, it's, it's harder to give up home runs. They're bigger. Uh, I, I just think with the swing and miss potential of his split change, there's still a chance he could break through in a big way here, but it's just not quite enough value for me. There are pitchers going after him who I like even more, so I tend not to draft a lot of Bundy, even though I like the argument for him. Caleb Smith was somebody I originally was in on, and I liked him as a sleeper. He got off to a great start last year uh, with the swinging strikes and the strikeout rate, but... I think the condensed schedule and the teams that he will face consistently has kind of scared me off because he's going to face some really good offenses in that division from the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, the Nationals. And then when he goes to the AL East, he's got to face the Yankees, the Red Sox. So I'm worried about Caleb Smith. I've kind of moved him down a little bit. Not as excited anymore. Adam, what do you think about this group? Heaney, Urquidy, Keuchel, Caleb Smith, Dylan Bundy. Keuchel is someone we haven't really talked about. I think he could still be useful for... Points leagues, at least. Just points leagues. I just want to say, I'm not going to uh, belabor this, but since I haven't been on any of the, of the previews, I do like Luke Weaver a lot. He's just two spots ahead Who? of this group. Who do you like? I, <laughs> Luke Weaver. So much better to sing that than the Sesame Street songs I've been singing all day, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think Keiko's fine in a points league. He's just a weird pitcher. He's not going to help your unless he's unless he's amazing, like in a Cy Young esque seasons. He's not going to help your whip. He's definitely not going to help your strikeouts. Um, so that's just yeah. He's just points lead. Not, not much that, reason be, to believe he's going to be amazing. Going to be bad in those categories too. Yeah. Uh, so he's just you know he's a strange pitcher. But my favorite in this group would probably be Urquidy. Guy's just he's been good. Like there need yeah he's just produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of the Sesame Street songs you were singing? 
Um, the Echo song, Be by Echo. <laughs> sing what I sing. It's like, okay. I, yeah. I'm not familiar with that one. Um, and then Feist, one, two, three, four, the Sesame Street version. You know, you know that song, Scott? I'm sorry I asked. One, two, three, four, <laughs> tell me that you love me. You know I know that song. That song. Yeah, yeah, now I she don't. does it on Sesame Street. It's all about counting to four. Who does it? Abby? No, Feist. Oh, okay. Yes, guest spot on Sesame Street. Gotcha. Yeah. This next group in ADP, AJ Puck, <laughs> Josh James, John Gray, Adrian Hauser, Aaron Savale. This is, you know, I could see what you were saying about Andrew Heaney, Scott, because this group to me, I think you can argue has more upside than some of the names that we just talked about. I know that you like some of these guys. Who are, oh, who are I, I draft Josh James, and I actually draft Adrian Hauser a lot too. I don't. I like Hauser a lot. Puck, too. Puck has a ton of upside, but he also has a ton of downside because we're not sure he can find the strike zone consistently. But ton of strike gout potential. Uh, so I can understand people getting excited about AJ Puck. I, I just think Josh James is like the better version of AJ Puck because he doesn't have a consistent problem issue with control over his career going back to the minors. And he had made a mechanical adjustment in spring training that uh, looked like was going to help him overcome the control problems he had last year. But Josh James can miss so many bats. I mean, his swinging strike rate would have led all qualifying starting pitchers last year. And granted he was working in relief, which gives him an advantage in terms of getting swinging strikes. But still, I mean, even if you go back to his last season as a starter in the minors, the numbers are very, very impressive for Josh James. And of course, pitches for the Astros, which they have a good history of getting the most out of their starting pitchers. Obviously a great supporting cast there. I'm a little less enthusiastic about James because he's a delayed arrival to camp too. And uh, it's not like he had totally locked up the fifth starter job. They have other candidates there. I just wonder if, if they're not totally convinced he's stretched out if, if he gets conf- confined to the bullpen again and becomes a waste to pick. But, you know, it's, it's low enough risk at this point in the draft where I'd still be willing to take him. And then Adrian Hauser I like because, I mean, look at what he did in his, in, after moving to the rotation, 12 starts down the stretch. Uh, numbers were were must-start-type ratios. He didn't go more than five innings consistently, but he was also moving from the bullpen, so I think that's understandable. I think the ground ball rate the, the ground ball rate would be on par with like a Marcus Stroman, but with the potential to strike out a batter per inning. So I think Adrian Hauser has a chance to become a must-start pitcher for you. Hauser, those final 12 starts, a 3.28 ERA, 109 whip, 63 strikeouts in 57 and two-thirds innings pitched with a 32.7% hard contact rate and a 53% ground ball rate. Again, that is Adrian Hauser. Adam, someone I really like here is Aaron Savale. And I brought this up earlier on the, uh, yesterday actually, rather, on the starting pitcher preview 2.0 part two, is looking at early season schedules. And I found out that these three teams have multiple series with the Tigers in the first month of the season. The Cincinnati Reds, the White Sox, and the Cleveland Indians. Am I overlooking things? Am I overthinking things rather by looking at the early season schedule? Because I think some of these Indians pitchers and specifically Aaron Savale, someone I already liked, can benefit from facing the Tigers early on. Early on the season. Yeah, I 
I'm not sure I draft people based on that, but you're absolutely right. That's why I I really liked Cleveland pitchers going into last year. Uh, I didn't think the Twins offense would be near, as good as it was. I didn't think it was going to be a great matchup, but just being able to face the Royals and and the Tigers and the White Sox. The White Sox definitely going to be better this year. No, look, it's a, it's a good point. I don't know why you like Savali so much. His strikeout rate is so low. You know, like how could you know, it's just it's so it's like a disqualifier. Well, <laughs> yeah, I he had the eight point eight percent swinging strike rate last year, very low, but it was consistently higher in the minors, and he gets a lot of ground balls. He actually reminds me of a Mike Soroka, and I just trust the Indians when it comes to developing pitchers. I really like what I saw from him down the stretch. The underlying numbers were not as good. I understand that, but two point three four ERA, one hundred four WHIP last year uh, in the starts that he made with the Indians. I think the there's whip. something there with Savali. I, I you know, I, I got a the the ground ball thing. You compared him to Soroka. It wasn't true for Savali's time in the minors. I mean, in the majors. I don't know if it was true for him in the minors, but he was he was a neutral pitcher, fly balls to ground balls during his time in the majors. Which like XFIP hates him. It does. XFIP hates Savali. XERA likes him because he gave up weak contact, but XFIP. Uh, you know, he he looks like a guy who had good home run luck and good just, you know, Babbitt luck, considering he wasn't missing many bats. Savali did. So I'm I'm more with Adam on this. Here were her his ground ball rates from twenty sixteen through twenty eighteen in the minors. Fifty nine point six percent, fifty three point nine percent, forty seven point six percent, forty seven percent. So yeah, it's um, trending the wrong way, but it's still pretty high. It it's trending the wrong way, and when it was awesome, he was like in a ball. So I don't, and then in the majors, it was only 40.5, which is, you know, like I said, it's neutral. Hey so guys. I don't know. He'll, he'll have to, I'm not ready to invest in him. Savali based on what I saw in the majors, especially since it's not like he was some high end prospect getting, getting a shot last year. I'm on enough islands already. So what's yeah, one more fine. at this point, right? It's like <laughs> Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, Manny Machado. I'll just keep it going with Aaron Savali. Uh, Adam, who do you like most from this group? Puck, James, John Gray, Adrian Hauser, Savale. The next group. <laughs> now, go James. To, go to Josh James. Josh James for you? But uh, yeah, I, I don't really draft much in this group. If you want to go to the next group, go ahead. I mean, names we haven't mentioned. Cole Hamels, Miles Michaelis, Garrett Richards, Mackenzie Gore, Nate Pearson. You have some veterans mixed in with some prospects, obviously. But I think guys that are just flat out going too late than they should be. Yeah, I'll just give you some names that that I, I would draft late. So Cole Hamels is a bit of a whip killer. You do have to be aware of that, but I, I still think he's a solid pitcher and has less downside than a lot of the players going ahead of him. He's not going to win the Cy Young, but I think Cole Hamels could definitely be someone who just, just needs to be owned and you start him with, with the good matchups and maybe even bad Matt, you just need a respectable outing. You go with Cole Hamels. Um, Michaelis. Look, I did. I, I, one thing I was right about last year was Michaelis. I just, it's why I don't really like um, Soroka so much this year. I just think there's a lot of downside for someone with, without the strikeouts and with a ton of ground balls. But for him to be going from like the 100th pick last year to 270th, there's got to be some value there. Michaelis might be able to turn things around. I like Jay. I like the veterans. You know, that's the thing. Like people are going with, with young guys. I actually like the veterans. And this is where maybe the All type right, Dusty. Is, yeah, well, maybe this is the type of, of season that where I said I don't really want to change things that much, but this might be an area where I change things. If I'm taking late-round flyers, you know, 
I, I think the managers are going to have more faith in veteran guys and you don't have time to wait for people to figure things out. So Jay Happ is not a bad pick. I think Jordan Montgomery is a better pick than Jay Happ, except if the Yankees are skipping anybody in my scenario where fifth starters are getting skipped, it's Montgomery. It's not Jay Happ, most likely. Um, I think Yanni Chirinos is in this group and just in a Roto League, he could be really good. Steven Matz is someone that Chris has brought up. Uh, he finished the season really strong. I'm interested to see where that goes. Mackenzie Gore has still not been mentioned. Um, I imagine he goes higher than what his ADP is now. Justice Sheffield, I would take a chance on guys like that. To be just 100% honest, in a standard, in a 12-team league, I'm probably not going to have a lot of these guys. My pitching staff is going to be full. But Cole Hamels is someone that I have been taking, that I will continue to take. And um, I would like to get one of the White Sox guys. Um in terms of Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech, like take a shot there. Two Yankees in J-Hap, Jordan Montgomery, and of course a former Yankees prospect in Justice Sheffield. Hmm, <laughs> very surprising here, Adam. Uh, Scott, I know someone you are excited about, at least based on the rankings. You have Nate Pearson as your SP53. I have him down at 79. So either I've got to move him up, or you've got to move him down, or we could just leave him where they are. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was hopeful Nate Pearson would just be in the Blue Jays rotation to begin the year. And I, I suppose that hasn't been ruled out, but they're they're playing the whatever's best for his development line. Um, if they keep him down for about a week, they get an extra year of service time. So I think he will lose one turn in the rotation and then he'll be up. And you know, if he picks up where he left off in spring training, he, he'll, he'll, he'll dominate. He had a great fastball that, is often hitting triple digits, good slider. Really hard to hit, Nate Pearson, and uh, deserves the most. You know, after after Jesus Lazardo, Pearson is the rookie pitcher we should be getting the most hyped about. So I am, and that's what the ranking shows. I do like Mitch Keller a lot. I'm not sure if we've talked about him yet. He was a top prospect for like four years. And then he added his best pitch, a slider just last year. And while the ERA was over seven during his time in the majors, the peripherals were very strong. Uh, they have a new approach to pitching that if this year is an organization that I think will help develop him better than pirates pitchers past. And I think Mitch Keller could be a real asset this year. I like, uh, I like Jay Happ who I think Adam mentioned, um, you know, he was really strong two years ago and uh, showed signs of recapturing that form in spring training. Obviously, Yankees, great supporting cast. I like Garrett Richards of the Padres, who we haven't seen much of him healthy in like the past four years. He looked good. He looked good in spring training, though. Yeah, like I, I don't want to lose sight of just how good he was before he had all the elbow issues. Going back to 2014, including even the three starts last year when he had an 831 ERA. Uh, so going back all the way to 2014, in 89 starts, he has a 323 ERA, 118 whip, and 8.6K per nine. He's a good ground ball pitcher, so he can get away with less than a strikeout per inning. And I think, I think Garrett, Garrett Richards, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be an asset in fantasy this year. I also like Alex Wood. I talked about him uh, when we talked about the sleepers on yesterday's show. Um, those would be the ones I'm most excited about in these 
later rounds, you know, obviously some drafts forced me to go a little deeper and I might target guys like Matt Shoemaker of the Blue Jays. Um, maybe Corbin Burns of the Brewers is a deep sleeper. I like Justice Sheffield, though it sounds like the Mariners are going with the six-man rotation. So that kind of cools my enthusiasm for Sheffield a little. But those would, those would be the main ones I want to highlight. Here's a quick Mitch Keller stat for you. He threw 157 of those sliders last year, Scott. And on those sliders, he had a 27% swinging strike rate and a 50% chase rate. To put that in perspective, wow. Justin Verlander's slider graded out as the best in baseball last year. He had a 24% swinging strike rate and a 53% chase rate. So Mitch Keller's slider actually had a higher swinging strike rate than Justin Verlander's last year. Mind you, it was a small sample size, but that slider is legit for Mitch Keller. Quickly promote a few things here. UFC 251, or better known as UFC Fight Island, is set to have arguably the biggest card of the year this weekend, and the State of Combat podcast has you covered. Brian Campbell and UFC Hall of Famer Rashad Evans already gave you a full preview on Monday's podcast, but that's not all BC has for you. He sat down with Max Holloway and Rose Namajunas ahead of their fights on Saturday on Wednesday's bonus interview slash expert picks podcast. Following the event on Saturday, BC will also be there to give you a full instant reaction podcast for UFC 251. State of Combat podcast is available anywhere podcasts are found. And a reminder, we are accepting your submissions for the two listener leagues we are running for this season. Send in a song that you have made about baseball, about the podcast, about fantasy. Get creative with it. Have some fun. If you sent a song back in March, just resend it. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. If you don't have the means to make a song, just tell us why you think you deserve to be in one of the leagues. Please make sure to include which league you want to be a part of in the headline or in the body body of the email. The Head-to-Head Points League will draft Monday, July 20th at 10 p.m. And the For the People League featuring Heath Cummings, is a 16-team team head-to-head categories draft, and that will be Wednesday, July 22nd at 8 p.m. The deadline for those submissions is next Friday, July 17th. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be answering your questions here on Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. 
The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back, Fantasy Baseball. Today, we're answering your questions. We'll start things off with the Apple Podcast Review questions that we received. This one comes from Sammy Isaac. Question regarding a dynasty league. I joined a keeper league for the first time where we have the choice to offer our players up to three-year contracts with the cost of the player going up $3 per year. I have Zach Gallen this year at $15. How many years should I sign him for? I can opt out of the contract in the future, but the penalty is half the contract price. So, Scott, 15 bucks for Gallon, a little steep. Goes up $3 every year, but if Gallon becomes the pitcher we think he could be, he could potentially be of value. How many years do you give him? Are we counting this year where he's 15? Or no? I, I guess not. I guess not. I guess you have to decide, including this year. I, I'd, personally, I'd give him the three-year deal. I don't think so. I don't think I could do that. Uh, I think the penalty is too steep and the volatility is too great at starting pitcher, particularly one who doesn't have much of a track record at all. So, yeah, I mean, the starting point being as high as it is, I'll give him two years, uh, maxing out at $21. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not confident he'll ever be a $25 pitcher. So, yeah, that's the most I'd do. $25 pitcher in a mixed leagues. That's, you know, that's pretty high end. Adam, do you agree? Zach Gallen, $15? I do not agree. I don't agree with this philosophy. If you're keeping a player for $15 and he's as young as Zach Gallen, what are you keeping him for if you don't think he's going to be worth, in this format, like, if you don't think he's going to be worth a $3 increase every year? You know, like $15 for him is too much this year. But they're like, don't keep him. I just feel well, like if you're locking up a young player, I'm only giving, I'm only not giving three-year deals to older players because a $3 increase isn't, isn't a lot. So I don't know. Like if you're keeping well, the, keep, the $15 starting point, I mean, he's not, he's not really a bargain keeper. Right. It, so don't part him. of the issue, but yeah. he's, he's not far off from, I mean, Scott, you have met $16. I have met 18. Right. So it's it's being kept for basically face value. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not like you got a guy. It's not like you got some big prospect for $1 and uh, you're going to reap the benefits for years to come. He's, you know, and, and obviously there's the downside of if things go wrong, you're still on the hook for half the money and you don't want to flush $12 down the drain uh, if you don't have to. I mean, there will be there will be other players worth keeping in the future. So I, I don't think I don't think there's a lot of upside to given the starting point of Zach Gallen and what starting pitchers in a mixed league generally max out at. I don't think there's much upside to committing long term to him. Scott's not doing it. I am doing it. Adam, deal breaker. You doing it? Yeah, I'm doing it. I I, I just wanted to add that I threw my son's favorite hat in the Scott said down the drain. I <laughs> I threw it in the toilet the other day. It was uh, on purpose. Is no. that a form of How punishment? dare you? <laughs> it was such. It was so. Oh, I felt so bad. It was like doesn't really fit him that well anymore. We were. It was on his head, and we were washing his hands. And I picked him up, and uh, his hat flung off and went right uh, in the toilet. 
Let's hear the sound of that pitiful creature, Frank. Yeah, it was like, was he asking for? Yeah, yeah, probably. Well, yeah, we had just come back in from T-ball. He was playing T-ball. Yeah. Oh, was it that Hurricanes hat you had him wearing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was that day. It was July. I, I saw 4th. the picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in the toilet, and I'd buy him a new one. Yeah, Jeez. right where the hurricanes belong. Just kidding. <laughs> this next one's from Brandon seven nine one one zero. I love your use of traditional and quote new stats, which leads to my question: Can you explain the good to bad ranges for the non-traditional stats? Most of us know the range for stats, stats such as OPS, WHIP, and counting stats, but I have no idea. What counts as above average hard hit barrel spin rates or any of the expected stats? Thanks. I'll take this one. Yeah. Okay. Right, well, Chris. <laughs> um, well, the ones you list specifically are Statcast stats, which can be found at Baseball Savant, and and fortunately, they tell you when you look at a player's page, they tell you what percentile he's in in that category. Uh, if you just hover over the stat. So, you know, usually usually like a, an exit velocity for a hitter. I got a pitcher's page open here now, but over 90% is going to be a really good exit velocity for a hitter. But he wasn't asking about exit velocity. I'm sorry, I'm fumbling this. The bottom line is I don't know off the top of my head what an above <laughs> average spin rate is. Uh, and I rely on baseball savant to tell me still. Barrel rate, I think usually you get into like, what over like ten percent? You're getting pretty high, right, Frank? League is average is five point seven percent. So yeah. I think anything eight to ten percent is pretty good. And then if you're over ten percent, like yeah, well, now you're talking. Yeah, some about, people get to like fifteen when you look at the league leaders in barrel yeah. rate. Now, Nelson Cruz was uh, right. <laughs> league leader, nineteen point nine percent barrel rate. If you do go to someone's Statcast page, they actually have the league averages there for you. So it'll say MLB league average six point three percent barrel rate. MLB league average, average exit velocity, 87.5 miles per hour. So you could find that. Um, but in terms of hard hit rate, you could also find that on fan graphs. League average last year was 38%. So I think anything over 40% is usually pretty good. Nelson Cruz was also the leader in hard hit rate, 52.5%. And then for the expected stats, look, for for FIP, XFIP, Sierra, I mean, you want that to be low, just like you want an ERA to be low. For yes. expected batting average, for expected slug, you want those to be high, just like you want right. batting average and slugging percentage to be high. So I think that's those the best are those way. are easy because they're yeah. just they're they're meant to represent the stats they're predicting. So yeah, I mean, they're a good xERA, good xFIP is going to be the same as what a good ERA is. This next one's from Miller Time Seven, dear Rocky Colt and Tum Tum. You know that one, Frank? I do. Yeah, I, I used to watch Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain with Hulk Hogan a lot uh, I when never, I was younger. That's not the one. I never one. saw that. I, there's such sellouts after the original, you know? I have seen the original, but the one with Hulk Hogan, man. Oh, I watched that a lot when I was younger. Steals are a huge focus of concern in Roto heading into the shortened 2020 season, and you mentioned the increased value of guys like Trey Turner. However... Is it possible steals are even more rare because managers are less willing to send their guys similar to how they act during the postseason? No. Okay. I don't buy it. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't buy it. All right. Fair enough. Is that we- a thing in the postseason? I think it steal- is. Yeah. Stealing less? I, I, I'm, I'm sure somebody studied it before, but I, I haven't I haven't noticed it. I think of famous steals in postseason history. Why don't we see Maybe. how many steals? 
bases Trey Turner stole in the postseason. In the postseason, I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, they were in it for a while. Good. Uh, <laughs> they, they were, in <laughs> fact. Yeah. yeah. Good fifteen game sample or they something like that. Literally played in not the most playoff games, but they were in the wild card all the way through. He yep. attempted one steal in the yeah, playoffs. He attempted one. Wow. And he he stole it successfully. Good for him. One for one. One hundred percent. No, I don't buy this though. I mean, it's not going to be like that much like the postseason. You still have to get through sixty games. I mean, no. From Matt in Lincoln. Dear Mark, Ryan, and Shawan. Uh, that sounds like the Cubs infield in like the late 80s, early 90s. Grace, Sandberg, and Dunstan. That is correct, Scott. Look at this guy. Yeah. I'm in a 14 team. I love how Adam's just like, yep, I, I knew do, that. I swear, because like <laughs> Ryan, there's only one Ryan. And then like, I never would have spelled Sean that way, but I was like, "That is that Sean Dunstan? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's Sean Dunstan. Yeah, I mean, of course. I you know, Shawan, Ryan but... Stanek. Yeah, I mean, I offended right now. My mind yeah. actually went to Ryan Stanek first. I, I, I'm just that tells you where I'm at in life. I'm in a 14 team head to head categories league with daily roster moves. With the news last weekend of Griffin Canning pitch a three inning batting session and appears ready to go. Should I add Griffin Canning and drop John Gray? I'm worried that Gray might not be worth owning in a shortened season because I'll be hesitant to start him at home. I, I've moved Canning back back up in my rankings quite a bit. I was very excited about him, one of my favorite sleeper pitchers before the elbow issue came up. And, you know, he's sounding, he, he sounds like he feels a lot healthier now. So that's good. But like in a 14 team league, I just feel like John Gray is a stable enough option in a in a deeper league like that that you can't really treat him like waiver fodder. Like you can't you can't pursue the upside play in canning when you have this guy who's you know Scott, did you just say John Gray and stable in the same sentence? I did. I did. I mean, look. Two seasons of a three point eight four ERA or less, two seasons of a four point six one ERA or higher. I, I know. I know. He's he's quite volatile. Yeah. I'll say Griffin Canning. I guess I got to make that move okay. in my rankings. But too. here's the thing. Here's something about John Gray. I, I don't know his splits from last year off the top of my head, but he was never a home road split guy. I'll look right now. Last year, 348 at home, 425 on the road. He he's just that was not John. Am I getting him confused with another pitcher? I think no. You're right about been, that. No, you're right. He's he's typically yeah. better at home. For, in his uh, career, four three six at home, four five six on the road. Yeah. So so don't even go with the I can't start him at home thing. It, but that's why it's, it's so hard to figure out when to start him. You know, because yeah, you'll, no, you'll sit weird, him at a, home a, and then he'll go off. It's frustrating. He's a frustrating pitcher. But in a fourteen team league, I think I. I think I'd stick with him, and yeah, you probably just start him. I think there's a chance post-type, he could be a post-type sleeper. He's got that kind of ability. We didn't really talk, I think I kind of skipped over him when we were talking about the old, uh, the late-round pitchers. I probably shouldn't have. He's, I think in a 14-team league, John Gray makes a lot of sense. I agree with Scott. Like, I, I, I don't think he's very good, but he's kind of in like that, like in that Masahiro Tanaka. I was actually just thinking Tanaka as well. Class of pitchers where he's good enough that he has to be rostered. And I think that's especially true in a 14-team league where the the 
the quality of pitching out there just isn't that great. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind adding Griffin Canning. I just don't know that. I think you're going to end up missing John Gray if you if you cut him loose in that league just because he'll be easy to plug in whenever you don't have anybody else to plug in. Griffin Canning's first 11 starts last season, a 3.79 ERA, 0.99 whip over a strikeout per inning, a 15% swinging strike rate. Again, that is Griffin Canning. Your email. How, how many quality starts? I do not have that readily available. That was Scott and I were really big on Griffin Canning. Now I was Scott was more so, but he's got a the nasty swinging slider. strikes, baby. That's what I love. Yeah, about but Griffin he just Canning. he just I feel like would you say eleven starts? I'm gonna guess three quality starts. Uh, his so he had one, two, three, four. Stop counting. Tell me that you love me more. Five, six, six of his oh. first eleven. All right, that's pretty damn good. You know, maybe a better comp for Gray than Tanaka is Miles Michaelis. Not because I think they're similar pit, Blake, because Miles Michaelis, like, you know, John Gray is going to be bad in whip, and he's probably not going to be good in ERA. And Miles Michaelis, you know, he's probably going to be bad in ERA. No, well, you know, he's going to be bad in strikeouts, and he's probably not going to be great in ERA either. But, like he's not going to be bad enough, probably. I don't know. It's, it's, it's muddled. The I John just, Gray I just, situation. Clearly. I love the because way because it's you're... not like I have a lot of confidence in John Gray, but I think he he meets a certain threshold in a deeper league like a fourteen teamer that like you just can't afford to give him up for nothing. Well, I, I guess it's not for nothing if you're picking up Canning. I'm gonna stop talking now. Yeah, I think so. You already made I'm... your point. You made it well. <laughs> like I, we we agree with you. I just love the way that you describe John Gray. He's probably going to hurt you in ERA. He's probably going to hurt you in whip. But you should probably (laughs) keep him. (laughs) Emails. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. This one comes from Brian. Hey, guys. With known players like Charlie Blackman diagnosed with COVID-19, how does this affect his ADP and others along the same lines? So we've actually received some emails uh, saying that drafts that people are doing, uh, players who have tested positive are slipping down draft boards. Are those players that you are willing to gobble up and snag the value, Scott? I think it's dumb to have your draft right now. I'm going to say that up front. Like, I agree. I, and I'm not normally a guy who, heading into a typical season who cares that much about waiting till the very end of spring training, but this is a completely different scenario because this player testing positive for COVID-19 is going to be a more frequent thing than an injury and you're never going to be sure what the timetable is we really don't have a clue for any of the players who have it right now what the timetable is so i i want to wait until as late as i possibly can and reassess then uh but if particularly for people who've had symptoms i'm gonna be you know if we're not hearing encouraging reports and um, given some idea when they're coming back, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really wary of drafting them. Like somebody like Freddie Freeman, if we get to late, you know, if we get to like that last week in July leading up to opening day, and there's nothing new to report really. Um, you know, it, it seems like there's a possibility he could miss two or three weeks of the regular season still, and that's obviously a huge chunk in a season. He, as he short said as this he's one. starting to feel better. He he has. But what does that mean exactly? Like you have to starting about- to feel better, like I'm on the verge of trying to get some negative tests now, two negative tests in 24 hours. Or, you know, Scott Kingery talked about how 
you know, he's basically a month into his and he's just now starting to feel to a point where he can play baseball again. Yeah. So better, you know, I'm, I'm sick and can't get out of bed versus better. I'm good enough to play baseball again. I mean, there's a, there's a wide range in between those two. Yeah. And you don't know how long it's going to take guys to get back in shape and feeling right. Physically. It's a really tough question. I, I'm not going to downgrade them right now if I'm drafting more than a round. I would say that Freddie Freeman should not go in the fourth round at the very latest. He should go in the third. We've always been very high on Charlie Blackman. I thought he was worthy of being a third round pick that you could actually get in the fourth. If he was available in the fifth, I'd take him. I think that um, I just expect a lot of players to miss a lot of time this year. So it's an awkward thing to talk about. And it's just, I hate it. Uh, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but the fact that they they've got it now, it kind of works in terms of the baseball calendar, you know, if they get it out of the way. I don't, you know what I'm trying to say? I yeah. just don't even want to say it, but I, cause I don't want anybody to get it, but mm-hmm. if they're going to get it for your fantasy team, it's better. They get it before the season starts than in the middle of the season. And of course it doesn't mean that everybody's going to get it. I'm not, yeah. I'm, if they're going to get it, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm with you in terms of thinking a lot of players. Like I, I think the initial intake is where we're going to see the biggest surge of cases because you know, these players were off doing their own thing. They weren't, they weren't under the oversight of teams. They weren't adhering to a certain set of guidelines. They don't have the, the, the peer pressure and the solidarity of, of not wanting to let down their teammates. I mean, we've seen Fran Mil Reyes. He got separated from the team because he was at a 4th of July se- celebration without a mask. And he came back very apologetic because he didn't like having to be away from the team just for not wearing a mask at this 4th of July celebration. We've seen Andrew Heaney, Talk about he and his teammates agreed. No restaurants. No, they're, they're not going to do all this stuff uh, that normal people are going to do because they don't they don't want to be knocked out uh, from playing baseball. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think teams are going to hold teammates are going to hold each other accountable. And I'm not saying that means nobody's going to test positive. Of course, some players will, but I don't think I don't think we're going to see as many all at once as we did here on the initial intake. I'll be right. This next one's from Joel in Cape Cod. Dear Joe, Johnny, and Frank. Sounds like uh, you and your two brothers. You know, it's funny you say that. I only have one brother, but his name is Jonathan, and we call him Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I have another sibling, but it's my sister, so she's not named Joe. (laughs) Uh, Joe. According to Wikipedia, baseball's sad lexicon, also known as Tinker to Evers to Chance Ah. after its refrain, is a 1910. 10 baseball poem by Franklin Pierce Adams and involves um, New York Giants fans watching the Chicago Cubs infield of shortstop Joe Tinker, second baseman Johnny Evans Evers and first baseman Frank Chance completing a double play. Yeah. So there you go. I never would have gotten that, but I knew Tinker's Evers a chance. So I know they had first names. One week after I traded James Paxton and Hansel Robles and received Roberto Osuna and David Price, Price says, no thanks. I can pick up Ross Stripling or Mackenzie Gore. 12-team Roto, my other starting pitchers are Blake Snell, Clevenger, Glassnow, McCullers, and Josh James. Which do you recommend, Scott? Stripling or Gore? I think actually Stripling. It's, it's sounding pretty clear that Stripling is the one taking David Price's place. I mentioned in our last podcast that Dave Roberts said he expects 
three of his pitchers to be ready to throw seven innings in their first turn. He mentioned Kershaw, he mentioned Alex Wood, and he mentioned Ross Stripling. So, I mean, to me, that's a pretty strong indication he's thinking of Stripling as a starting pitcher. Uh, and Mackenzie Gore, meanwhile, it's sounding like the Padres are giving him basically no chance of making the starting rotation at the, at the start of the season. And it won't mean, it doesn't mean he won't ever contribute this year. Uh, but I don't think it's like a Nate Pearson situation where they're just delaying the clock and uh, we'll get him in as soon as possible. I think they're not totally sure he's actually ready to contribute yet. Yeah. And they feel pretty good about the options they have. Adam Stripling or Gore. I, I cannot disagree with anything that Scott said. I was just trying to look up the splits. He had a two, he had a three sixty RA three sixty RA last season. Ross Stripling as a starter with seventy one strikeouts and seventy innings and a one point one three WHIP. So I mean, he's good. I feel man. like he's Ross always Stripling been good. Is the, is the best sleeper in fantasy right now. It's two years in a row of him being extremely useful, and in two thousand eighteen, just being completely awesome as a starter. I don't think he's as good as he was then, but had, like. He should have been. He should be in a major league rotation to begin with. So, yeah, mm-hmm. get him. From Jerry, dear Roberto, Joe, Fred, and Tony. That sounds like the Blue Jays infield, right? Joe Carter was playing first base. Roberto Alomar, Tony Fernandez, Fred. Who's Fred? Hmm. Uh, this might have been Fred McGriff. Fred McGriff. Third baseman for the Blue Jays. You okay, know. Well, well, Fred McGriff can't play. <laughs> Fred McGriff and Joe Carter can't both play first base. He played third base. You don't remember that? He won the World Series. He was on deck when Joe Carter hit the walk-off homer. <laughs> I don't know. JK, now I have no no idea. <laughs> five by five. And I'll, the reason why I just stare at you, Adam, when you say these things is because I don't know if you're kidding because I just, I just don't know. I don't, yeah, I do, I don't know these things. <laughs> five by five NL only Roto auction keeper. We keep 11 OPS instead of average and saves plus holds. I can only keep two of these players. $3 Will Myers, $1 Sandy Alcantara, $1 Francisco Mejia, $1 Eric Hosmer, $5 Scott Kingery. What do you think, Scott? I was Googling this. Me too. It was players involved in a trade, a famous trade between the Blue Jays and Padres. Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez traded to the Padres for Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter. Okay. So keep two players. Ah, some good choices here. I would keep a... Ah, these aren't great choices. I'd keep a $5 Scott Kingery and a $3 Will Myers. In NL only, they're not bad, though, Scott. Yeah, you're right. And I just noticed it was NL only. Yeah, good keepers. Good. Yeah, power speed. A couple power speed sources there in Kingery and Myers. I like it, too. Adam, you good with that? Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure. All right. Well, you know, we'll just we'll wrap it up there. Adam, is this going to be a thing every Friday? Are you going to join us? No, I think I'm back. I, I really decided to stay away from the... Um, from the position previews, I just didn't think I'd be very helpful. Uh, but I'd like to be on more regularly. All right. But not Monday. I won't be on Monday. You see, he sets us up and then he tears us down. <laughs> Gosh. I do two uh, football shows on Monday, so not Monday. Are you in this auction we're about to do on Friday? Hell no. Oh, uh, well. I wish right. you were. I got one <laughs> spot open. Come on, Adam. Come on. Spot. He's not going to do it. Yeah. I kind of. 
No, he's not going to do put it. together a tricycle, and that's going to take even longer <laughs> than the auction. While you're oh, singing man. Sesame Street songs, the ones nobody's ever heard of. I Fre gotcha. Freddie Freeman is the first player I'm going to nominate, so I'm just throwing that out there right now. All right, for Adam and Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.